What's up, guys? This is Bradley. I wanted to tell you about a company that I really, really like, ePay Policy. They completely saved my tail on a case last week. As many of you know, I started my independent insurance agency with a lot of questions, concerns. I didn't know what I didn't know, and that proved true when I wrote my first agency build homeowner's policy. I write this policy, and the client tells me, all right, let me pay you with a credit card. I'm like, uh... How do I take a credit card payment? And guess what, guys? Square and PayPal, it's against their terms of service for you to use it for an insurance premium. God forbid somebody pay you and then you end up not getting that payment. So in came ePay policy. They completely saved the day for me, got me signed up within 24 hours. They provide the simplest solution for your agency to collect credit card and ACH payments while finally putting a stop to chasing those paper checks around. I don't want to be in the collection business. I want to be in the insurance business. With ePay policy, you pass the processing fees onto the client, keeping your bottom line intact while providing an added convenience to your clients of accepting digital payments. The page that you send the client for them to make the payment is branded and tailored to your agency. Mine has my logo. And when it comes to reconcile, their accounting dashboard keeps the process clean and simple, and they integrate with all the major management systems, including mine, at no extra cost. Look, they know how busy you and your clients are. They provide the simplest solution for your agency to collect credit card and ACH payments while finally putting a stop to chasing paper checks. There's no contract, no setup fee, no hidden costs. It takes less than five minutes to sign up, and they'll have you up and collecting digital payments within 24 hours like they did for me. Give ePay Policy a call or hit them up online at epaypolicy.com and let them know that the insurance guy sent you. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Sarah Land, Alabama, parade first team All-American, rivals, five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and the agency owner of Portal Insurance. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm great, Scott. How are you today? Best I've ever been. I love having high-energy people on this show, and I love helping insurance agents move the ball one step forward to greatness. This guy is a dynamic speaker. He is someone that can help them, and I, I think we got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm just going to go ahead and get into it. Guys, uh, we are blessed and honored to have this gentleman on the show today. He is originally from Neosho, Missouri. He lives in Allen, Texas, and he is a 16-year veteran of the mortgage industry as both a top-producing mortgage banker and independent mortgage broker. We're going to talk about that in a little while and see how that can help you guys. He is the founder and host of the Mortgage Marketing Expert Podcast and was recently named one of the 40 most influential mortgage professionals under 40 by NMP Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor to introduce today, first time on the Insurance Guys podcast, the incomparable Mr. Phil Treadwell. How are you, Phil? <laughs> Man, I'm I'm doing well. That was a a great intro. I'm I'm humbled and, and honored to be uh, on your guys's podcast. I, I'm a fan. I'm a subscriber. I love the content you guys put out, and and excited to have this conversation today. 
thank you so much for being here today. I want to jump right into it. Normally, I tell people to get in their DeLorean and go back in time and talk about how they got in the industry. You know, I've always said, Bradley, I know will agree with this, the mortgage business and the insurance business are hand in glove. Yep. They work together. And, and that not only, not only on the personal line side, but that can also be the case on the commercial side of insurance as well. I've got a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Before we get started, we're going to talk today, guys, about podcasting, how that can help you and your business. I know it's something that we've talked about before. We're going to try to take a little bit of a different angle on that today. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Phil, so since around the end of February, because those two businesses kind of go hand in glove and you know more than most do, how has the mortgage industry changed and evolved or maybe even dropped off a little bit since the COVID-19 stuff has been going on? That's a great question. I, I appreciate uh, you bringing up this topic because it's one that I think people misunderstand with so many things happening with COVID-19. And I, I definitely don't want to be insensitive to the people that have had economic challenges, health challenges, anything like that. But as far as the mortgage industry goes, we've actually been thriving. Now it's changed a lot because we've had to change the way we not only communicate with our borrowers, with our you know agents and referral partners, with the other businesses that we work with, like insurance and appraisal and whatnot. Zoom has obviously exploded over the last several months. Guys like us have all been using it you know for several years for podcasting and things of that nature. But I think Zoom and Skype and, and FaceTime are now becoming the norm. You know, people are doing happy hours that way. They're doing new partner meetings that way. They're doing intros with their customers, and so. The mortgage industry has historically, a lot like insurance, it has been an aging industry, one that's been slow to adopt technology as fast as other verticals have. And so what COVID has happened, one positive thing that's come out of it is it's forced mortgage professionals to take a look at their tech stack, the way that they communicate, the way that they brand themselves and market themselves, all in a very positive way because they don't have any choice anymore. They can't fall back to things that they've been doing for five or 10 or 15 years and, you know, when it comes to the economic pressure that COVID has put on there with interest rates coming down to historic lows, not even near historically anymore, we're, we're at some of the lowest interest rates in history. That has created a lot of business, not only where buyers are knowing that, hey, sellers that need to sell these homes, I might get a good deal. So that's kind of spurred some of the... Uh, uh, purchase side of the market. And then of course, refinances, anyone that has, you know, a, a four in front of their interest rate and probably even a high three needs to be refinancing their loan. And so that's created trillions of dollars of potential business for mortgage professionals and in turn, you know, insurance professionals and appraisers and title companies and everything else. And so those that are adopting these communication styles, these technology platforms that are out there branding themselves whatsoever are, are, doing more business than they really know what to do with. I mean, you, you've got years worth of potential business being done. And so again, I, it doesn't take away from a lot of the challenges that are happening in the world economically and with jobs and with health crises. Uh, but when it comes to the mortgage industry, anybody that's actually working, uh, as my dad used to say, you got to make hay while the sun's shining and, and in the sun's shining right now. Well, it's one of those things, you know, nobody likes change, right? Right. A lot of people don't like innovation, but the worst kind of change and the worst kind of innovation is forced change and forced innovation. And I'm not talking about 
the industry is changing and my competitors are changing. Therefore, I have to. I'm talking about something like COVID where if you don't use Zoom, if you don't use Skype, if you don't have a VoIP phone system, if you don't use text messages, if you don't use video proposals, you cannot operate your business. Right. And it makes me so sad, regardless of where you stand politically on how aggressive the government handled COVID or how unaggressively, some of the saddest things I saw in the insurance business were insurance agencies that could not close down. And it's not because they didn't think COVID was a big deal. It's because they physically could not close down right? because of it. And don't wait for the next COVID to happen to innovate in your business because it's never good when your hand is forced. Always right. let it be your decision. And the thing is, I'll tell you guys, this is very opinionated of me, but I think we're in the very near future, regardless of the industry, are going to be able to handpick the businesses that are going to lose and are going to fail. It's going to be the ones that were forced to innovate. And then when things get back to somewhat normal are going to go back to the way they were doing it. If you've been forced to innovate, continue to do that. Don't right. go back to the way you're going to do it. Hey, Bradley, I'm going to give you a perfect example of that. For the past year and a half, my agency, we have desperately needed to have a weekly staff meeting. But because we have three locations and people are running 100 miles an hour with their hair on fire, as I like to call it, making the donuts every day, we have not been able to do that. And it was something that we desperately needed to do. One of the beautiful things for us that has happened during this COVID-19 outbreak is I started setting up a Wednesday Zoom call, Wednesdays at one o'clock, staff meeting, situation report, everybody reports on what they're working on, problems they're having, those types of things. I can promise you this. We will never go back to not doing that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, like for, from now on until there's some better way to do that, every Wednesday at one o'clock, we're and, and it is it has helped our agency so much, and it's something that we've been desperately needing for really over a year to do. And that that COVID outbreak situation we had kind of forced our hand in doing that. And and we've kind of seen to Phil's point. We've seen some of our lenders, yes, because we deal with a lot of lenders in our agency. Some of our lenders um, are doing less deals than they traditionally do. Um, but we've seen a little bit of an uptick. March was our second best month ever. April was a little down. We were, we were slightly below average. And then May was back up where March was. And I think it's, it's due to the fact of all of these lenders are, are really pushing hard because of rates being so low. Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I think one of the things that I think people need to pay attention to as well is not only do you not want to be in a position when COVID happens again, you have to take advantage of what has been happening. And, and we're kind of at the tail end of it. So the tip may be a little bit late, but if you look at the Great Recession at the end of, you know, 07, 08, 09, some of the biggest companies on planet Earth right now came out of that great recession. You know, you have, and I've, I've got a list here because I shared it in another podcast, Dropbox, Zendesk, Groupon, WhatsApp, Uber, Venmo, Slack, Square, Pinterest, and the granddaddy, Instagram. All of these things came out of the great recession. So when this stuff was started, we were having conversations with our team. Not What, what type of business could you have five and 10 years from now because of the work that you're doing right now. You know, how can we 
take all of those uh, those things that we now have implemented in our business and come out the other side of it with a completely different model that's going to take us to that next level. And that's really what I wanted my team and, and, and my audience to really take advantage of through COVID was now is the time when you can change things when, whenever you, your business has been disrupted. So let's, let's make it worthwhile. Let's not just get through it. Let's create something that can be built on, you know, over the next five and 10 years. Let's move off that topic for just a second. I want to talk a little bit today about podcasting. And I want to ask you the question because you're a lot like Bradley and, our, and myself in terms of what you're good at and what you do every day in the mortgage business is not something that's really conducive, you know, a topic that the end user is just going to be all about jumping on and listening to, right? Because Bradley and I decided early on, we said, the end user is not going to sit here and listen to an hour long podcast about insurance and uninsured motorists. We would have got sued by Ambien for putting too many people to sleep. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you were thinking about how to come up with a podcast in the mortgage industry, tell us your process of going through that. How did you come up with that idea and what, who do you reach with your podcast? Yeah. So I'll answer that last part of the question first. Uh, my podcast is called Mortgage Marketing Expert. And our mission is very simple to help people build their business and, and do marketing better. And our audience is almost entirely B2B. So it's mortgage, real estate, insurance professionals that are building their business and building their brand. And the thought process about around how and why I did it was very simple. At the time, I was recruiting in markets outside of where I had uh, done business before, had branches. And when you go to a new market where people don't know you and you don't have a lot of company name recognition, my ability to recruit mortgage professionals went down drastically. And so what I did at the time, this has been several years ago, was at the time people still Googled people. When you met someone, you went and Googled them. Well, now we don't Google them. We, we go on social media. But at the time I was doing blogging, I was trying to, when people Googled me, give them something to see. That quickly turned to social media because of, you know, I, I started discovering people like Gary Vee and, and, and others. And I realized that I needed to take control of my online presence. I started uh, an Instagram page called Mortgage Marketing Expert where I wanted to do a mortgage marketing tip of the day because I was really focusing on the go-giver mentality. If I offer enough value to people, I'll get what I want in the end. But my sole purpose was to add value to the mortgage industry, to create a brand, to create a platform of someone that was offering people help in building their business. What happened is within about 30 to 60 days, I had about a thousand people following this page organically. And after about 90 days, I started running out of things to say because there's only so many one-liners you can come up with without saying the same thing over and over. And I started the podcast originally because I thought if I brought on experts in the industry, number one, I would get to learn some stuff from them. Number two, the people that were listening could learn from some of the best and the best in the industry about how to build their business. And number three, I could take their quotes and I had my new mortgage marketing tips of the day. Well, the... the podcast blew up because I found out very quickly that because I wasn't trying to make money off of these influencers, because I wasn't trying to do anything other than really add value to my end listener, I had a lot of who's who and, and leaders and, and experts in the industry that were very willing to come on and, and talk. And so 
you know, a lot of these coaches and consultants are, are thousands of dollars a month to tap into. I was getting 30, 45 minutes of their time and, and my audience really resonated to that. So the very simple equation for people to follow is identify who your audience is. Number two, you've got to decide what is it you're trying, what type of message, what, what type of, of content you're trying to communicate to that specific audience. And then the third choice is you can decide what medium is going to be best. For me, that, that was, I'm trying to reach mortgage professionals. I'm trying to add value and help them build their business. And podcast was what I chose because as a busy professional, I didn't have time to watch 30 minute hour long videos. I didn't spend a ton of time on social media, but it was very easy for me to multitask while I was commuting, while I was at the gym, while I was working and listen to podcasts. And really all I was trying to do was attract people to me like I was. And so that's where I, I decided I wanted to do a podcast. I realized later that I had a radio face and didn't need to be on video. I needed to be behind a microphone. And so podcasting has absolutely changed my business because it's helped me not only develop a brand, it's ways that I create long form content, repurpose that into micro content and put it across a lot of social media channels. And even people that I coach now, we walk through that very same formula. They don't necessarily need to do a podcast about mortgages. They can do a podcast about their community, about their hobby. I have one uh, guy on my team that he and his uh, wife have, have uh, you know, biological children. They've done adoptions. They've, they're foster kids, and they work with a lot of ministries and nonprofits in the area. So literally all he does is have a podcast weekly where he highlights a nonprofit in his area, gives them a spotlight, gives them a microphone, and then shares it with people. And a ton of people listen to that podcast because at the end of the day, he's giving people something that they want, which is to learn about causes that they want to support. And in turn, his business grows because he's getting that name recognition with doing it. So there's lots of ways to go about it. But obviously, I'm, I'm very bullish on not only what a podcast can do as far as content and adding value and marketing yourself, but there's a direct correlation to how your business is going to grow. Well, and I think if you're trying to sell whatever your niche is, okay, your niche could be construction workers. Your niche could be contractors. It could be dry cleaners. It could be a community, right? Whatever your niche is, whatever your target client is, you cannot convince me that there is a better way to sell to that niche than to either A, find a podcast that has an audience of that niche and buy ad dollars against that or create a podcast for that niche. And if you know me, my style is I'm going to sell to you without selling. I'm going to sell to you by building a relationship and making it an easy decision for you. I don't think there's a better way to do that than to create a podcast for that niche. I talked to a guy the other day, insurance agent in Texas, um, his niche is contractors. And I was like, dude, every industry has the influencers, right? They have the, the Ryan Hanley's, the Ryan Serhant's, the Ricky Carutes, the the whomever, every industry has those. Find those thought leaders in the construction industry and interview them. Yep. It's going to do a couple things. One, they are going to know who you are. The reason Scott and I, or at least to me, the reason we started having guests was I wanted to be connected with the players in the industry, right? So you're connected with them. But then also the audience is going to know your name, know you, right? I just don't think there's a better way but the piece that people miss is videoing it and the piece that we missed actually in the beginning. I've got a video guy in here right now and I'm videoing on Zoom because I want to capture this video. The piece that people miss, like Phil said, is breaking it down into the micro content 
right? It's what's so genius about the Joe Rogan deal. If you're not familiar, you're listening to this. Joe Rogan has signed a licensing deal to move his podcast from all the podcast platforms to only Spotify for $100 million. But part of the deal was, is he still gets to put the short three to five minute clips on YouTube, just not the full episodes. I don't know this for sure, but from being a podcaster, I know this. I bet you he makes more of an impact and gets more listeners from the short clips on YouTube than he does from people listening to the podcast episode. So that's why it's so brilliant. It's not going to, it's not going to cause his audience any friction. They're still going to watch it on YouTube. He's still going to get the YouTube ad dollars and he's got the Spotify deal over here because what happens by breaking that content down and putting it into micro snackable clips is you catch the person who's not going to listen to the full episode because they don't have the time or the patience, i.e. Bradley Flowers. You're going to catch the people that maybe weren't listeners, but they listen to that. and They're like, oh, that's super interesting. Bradley and Phil and Scott are talking about podcasting. I'm going to go listen to the full episode. So you get both of those ends. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a couple things that, that you mentioned there that I want to make sure and, and kind of give my two cents on. The first part of it is, yes, if you'll find experts in your industry, your industry will listen, right? You find who those influencers are. And as a side benefit, you do become connected to them. My following grew exponentially because I allowed the people that I had on my podcast, I gave them a, a platform to really talk about and expand what they did, how they did it and, and their thoughts. And they then had a piece of content to share. But because I was there, all of those people now came into my ecosystem. What happened very quickly is I started being labeled an expert. I didn't call myself the mortgage marketing expert. I called it mortgage marketing expert because I brought experts on. Yeah. And what happened is people started labeling me that and all of a sudden, these huge experts and, and people that were on my podcast started becoming my friends and are my friends and contemporaries now that I speak with on stage and things of that nature. So it's a great way to kind of hack the culture in your industry. And then the last thing you're talking about as far as micro content, I can promise you, uh, you know, I'm a Joe Rogan fan, but I've never listened to a Joe Rogan podcast from start to finish in a podcast player. Most of the podcasts that I listen to beginning to end of Joe Rogan have been on YouTube and I didn't for years, I would only consume the five and 10 and 15 or three minute clips of that. And so that's where the power of this is, is you, we're not just recording a podcast, we're creating long form content that there's so many one and two liners in here that you can share as tweets, that you can share as social media posts, that you can do all kinds of things with. And I've always just called it pillar content. But from this one Zoom recording, you can you know, take the transcription and turn that into social media posts or blog posts that's written. You can use it as a video and video clips. And then obviously you have the audio and you're covering all of the content platforms. And that's really where the power of it is because everyone's like, I don't know what to create. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to post it. I don't know how to do it. You know what? Go have a 30-minute conversation about something you care about and that person on the other end cares about. And you'll be shocked about how many amazing things come out of it that you can take snippets of and put out there for your audience. And the rest is, the rest is easy. So I've, I've got two questions that I'm going to ask you guys. The first, I know the answer to. It's kind of a softball the second one, I'm very intrigued by both of your answers. You're both very smart guys. You're technology forward. You're Gary V guys. But let's say that there's an insurance agent in Allen, Texas. I don't know who it might be, but he wants to, he wants to reach. He's a personal lines agent. He wants to do something to reach the end user instead of like how we do our podcasting where we're talking to people in the industries that we serve. 
or let's say it's a mortgage broker that wants to move into an area that's maybe 60 miles from where they are and they want to reach the end user, the person that's going to buy a mortgage. What are your suggestions for doing a podcast that does not bore the spots off a giraffe that would, you know, reach those end users and cause the telephone to start ringing? I think it's a a pretty easy answer. Um, you need to have a podcast about something that the person in that community cares about, right? The easiest examples are talk about restaurants and small businesses and developments and things that are going on in that community and become a resource. You know, it's the same way that we use for Alexa flash briefings. If you want to get in your community and have an impact in that community about something, you need to talk about something that people want to listen to. And if, if you're an insurance agent, if you're a, a mortgage professional, a real estate professional, the clientele that you want are business owners, people connected to those business owners, people that are doing things in the community, they're participating in the nonprofits and the professional organizations. So what happens is if you can share information and curate information that they care about, they're going to listen and they're going to find out that you're an insurance professional, a mortgage professional, a real estate professional, whatever it is, just because you're the host and you're the one delivering it. It's, it's the same hack that I tell people, well, how do I use Facebook to, to connect with people and to you know, get out my message without just putting out spammy content? Go find three to five to 10 Facebook groups that are about topics or demographics or whatever that you fit into. It could be homebrewing. It could be triathlon. It could be a mom group, a dad group, whatever, and go participate in that group and have conversations and actually say something that people give a shit about. That's not specific to you or, or, or spammy about yourself. What do they, what do we all do? Who is that? And you float over it and a little box pops up that talks about what you do or they click on it. There's a reason that, uh, social media stalking or Facebook creeping. There's a reason these words exist. It's because we all do it. And so if you're out there adding value, people will figure out who you are and what you do, and they'll start consuming some of your content so long as it's not spammy or, or commercial all the time. I love what Bradley does, and he's exactly right. He sells without people knowing they're being sold to because people don't want to be sold. They want to buy something. They want to make the conscious decision, not be manipulated into something. That's a great answer. I don't think I could say it any better than that. Yeah. That's one of those drop the mics and walk off. Type make, make sure you're passionate about it though. Yes. You know? very much. If I'm not passionate about star Wars, I'm not doing a star Wars podcast, yeah. <laughs> but if I am passionate about star Wars and I do a star Wars podcast, it's going to come through and it's going to be much more genuine. And the, and the same can be said if, you know, if I don't do mountain biking, I don't need to join the Facebook group. Agreed on, you know, closed Facebook group on mountain biking, because what's going to end up happening is I'm going to show that I don't really know what I'm talking about at some point. Right. And don't be the guy or girl that's like, Hey, happy veterans day. Hey, have you noticed rates are real low? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Don't be that person. I know there's somebody listening to this right now that that's what they're doing. It's like everything is tied back. No, give value to your audience. And eventually you make a sale. Don't try to turn every single conversation into, you should do business to me, right? It's yeah. the equivalent of going into a bar and asking every girl out. Eventually, somebody's going to say yes, but is it the right yes? Is it the yes that you want? Right. Well, and, and I'm, I'm going to say something that's highly likely to be very unpopular within a lot of people that, that market their businesses. There are certain holidays or national days 
that you might share a graphic or acknowledge in your social media that does not need your business logo attached to. <laughs> when, we're, when we're talking about the anniversary of 9-11 and you share a graphic of the Twin Towers and you're putting your company logo next to it, I might just befriend you because you've completely missed the point. You're yep. using a tragedy in our country. And, and a lot can be said with what's going on right now with Black Lives Matter, with covid when we're talking about things that are very, very important to our society, contribute to the conversation, have conversations that matter to people, they'll find out what you do. But if you're trying to use those, there, there's a way to hack culture and there's a way to, to do this the right way. If I've got an expert talking about expert things and I want to align myself with them so that spills over, that's okay. But if I'm using a, a very serious topic on social media and I'm using it to piggyback my business. Like Bradley said, Hey, happy veterans day, or, you know, I'm celebrating honoring our veterans, by the way, you know, here's my, my business website, go check it out. Stop. Don't do that. It's the wrong way to do it. And I promise you, you're doing more harm than good because people are paying attention. Well, and I know too, there are back to the podcasting thing. And I agree a hundred percent, Phil, um, and we actually, in my agency, we very rarely share holiday posts just because I don't want to be like everybody else. And it's going to kill my engagement because every single other insurance agent and business on the face of the planet, especially in Mobile, Alabama, is sharing Happy Veterans Day. It's not that I don't respect veterans or anything like that. It's the opposite, right? I don't want it to seem, you know, some hollow, you know, I don't want to be the guy at the Chamber of Commerce that you can tell I'm only talking to you because I'm trying to build a relationship and sell you something, right? Um, it's same kind of thing. Back to the podcasting thing, there's some of you that are listening to this right now and you're in a small town and you're driving down the road or you're working out and you're listening to this. And I want you to reach out to me after I say this. You're thinking to yourself, this would not work because I'm in a small town. Somebody is listening to this right now and thinking that. That is the exact opposite of the truth. If you are in a small town, this podcast strategy is going to work 1000 times better yes. than if you're in New York city or Fort Worth, Texas or wherever, because you can literally become the news source for your town. Mm -hmm. You can literally, that would be my goal is I want my podcast. I want my Facebook page to be the resource for the town. And not to mention, have you guys noticed we don't have any sports right now? <laughs> not to mention that people are looking for entertainment. One of the reasons I think the insurance guys podcast work is Scott and I are entertaining as much as we are bringing a guest on who talk about intelligent things. I just want to tell all these insurance agents out there that are listening to this something right now. I grew up in a town called Hamilton, Alabama population, give or take 6,000 people, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. If I had an insurance agency in Hamilton, Alabama, and I had a podcast, a weekly podcast that came out every Wednesday at 9 a.m. on Hamilton Aggie football, I can promise y'all I would have people wrapped around my agency trying to get in to get insurance with me because people in Hamilton love high school football. And I know every coach. I grew up with them. I played ball with them. I have a lot to talk to them about. We can talk about uh, Mr. and Miss uh, Johnson's kid who plays uh, safety on the football team. I probably know, you know, 60% of those kids' parents, 
And I can promise you that if I did that, I would have more insurance business and quoting to be done than I'd know what to do with. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it, Bradley? Absolutely. There's just so much opportunity there. I grew up in a town called Atmore, Alabama, a town of 8,000 people. There's no news station. When we were growing up watching the news and we'd hear the town name on the news, we're like, oh my gosh. So in Sarah Land, the town that I'm in, is very similar to Atmore. It's 12,000, 14,000 people, very similar to Atmore, but it's closer to Mobile. It's 15 minutes to the second largest metropolitan area in Alabama. Sarah Land, two years ago, the chamber partnered with this company and they were launching a Sarah Land local magazine. Remember, the areas are similar. And I was in a chamber meeting and a large majority of the people were like, this is dumb, magazines are this, you know, everyone has their opinions about print now. Right. And it came around to me and everybody in the room knows I'm the tech guy. When any, anytime Facebook comes up or custom audiences or anything in these chamber board meetings, everybody turns like this and they know that very much pro online. And it's not that I'm pro online. I'm just pro what works. Right. Right. And I said, this is a great idea. We should hundred percent do it. It's going to work. And the reason I knew that it worked is because Atmore did it 10 years ago and that magazine to this day when it comes out when it comes out you can't get them people will go into businesses and patronize that business just to get a copy of that magazine they're free i look at things like that in small towns that work way better than they would work in new york city what was your second question scott so my se my second question guys i am wildly interested in knowing about both of you have a personal relationship with gary vaynerchuk my second question is this. Today, as we sit here, podcasting is the hot thing. You know, there's well over 800,000 podcasts out there. It doesn't seem to be slowing down. As you look to the future, five years from now, maybe even 10 years from now, where do you think this thing is going to go in terms of either new technology or a new way outside of podcasting for, and, and I'm, we're talking from a vision standpoint, what's the next thing that the insurance agents five years from now need to be looking to, to reach clients, to reach kind of doing the same thing we're doing with podcasting? Yeah. So from my view, it's a continuation on audio and voice. If you look at podcasting, while it is a hot thing, those of us that are podcasting, I think, have a little bit of a jaded view that everyone's listening to podcasts whenever 50% of the U.S. population has still not listened to an actual podcast. But there are close to 80, 100 million people that are listening on a monthly basis. So there's a lot of people that have. I say all of that to say the demographics in podcasting uh, are, you know, the average episodes 37 to 40 minutes. Your listeners are 45% more likely to have a household income of $250,000 or more. And 70% of people say that they've become aware of a product or service through a podcast episode. And the one that matters the most is that not only is the episode close to 40 minutes, Edison Research says that 93% of people listen to most or all of an episode that they start. You know, you have only 7% of people that are listening to the beginning or less than half. So when you're talking about this form of content where we're engaging longer, the sole reason that whenever I speak, I'll ask, hey, how many people have watched this month a video 
nonstop for 40 minutes on YouTube or social media. Only a couple of hands get raised. How many of you have listened to an entire podcast episode in the last month? Almost every hand gets raised. Why? Because you can do multiple things while listening to a podcast. I say that to say when you talk about Amazon Alexa and Google Smart, you know, Google Home and all these other smart speakers, we're going to start living our life that way. We're going to start doing things with voice. I think for the first time ever, over half of the searches on Google were done mobily. And uh, it may even be close to two thirds now, but through that, a huge percentage of it, I don't remember the percentage, were done by dictating that search. Whether you're asking a smart speaker, whether you're dictating it into your phone, whether you're asking you know, Siri or whatever else, and I think that that's going to continuation. You now have, you know, Alexa and Siri in our cars. I think that voice and voice technology is going to be the next big wave in the next five years. That's why I think people are going to start consuming their content that way. And I'll steal a line from Gary Vee because, you know, Bradley, uh, you know, has similar conversation. Here's the content. Our mobile phones are a device where the largest companies in the world built platform or, you know, built software companies or companies on that phone platform. I think voice technology, smart speakers, our cars, our devices, I think the next wave of some of the biggest corporations on, on planet earth are going to be built on those types of platforms and voice technology. And I think we're early because we don't have enough adoption where right now it's a glorified iPod and, you know, asking Google questions. But I think for me, if someone wants to, participate in podcasts. There's still time. The, you're, you're, you haven't missed the boat. Podcasting, podcasting, podcasting for all the reasons we mentioned. And then if you want to look forward, start paying attention to voice, start learning about it, start under, understanding how it's being used and why, and then start figuring out how can you position yourself to be an early adopter when something comes out. I agree with all of that. Um, I think that, I think voice is a few years away. Yes. Um, Personally, and I got this idea from Scott Howell, I don't know why Jeff Bezos doesn't make those things $9.99 and get them in every household in America. Obviously, they must be they must cost cost more than what they're selling them for, otherwise they'd be doing that. But to those of you that are questioning voice, buy an Alexa and buy a smart light switch. Hook it up to your bedroom like I did and hook it up if you have a Nest thermostat. That's the only two things I have it hooked up to. The first, I used it for a week. For a week, one week later, I was staying in a hotel and my wife said, will you please get up and turn the air on? And I was like, God, I feel like such a peasant having to get up and turn the air on with my hand and I can't do it. And then obviously I wasn't thinking that I'm being dramatic, but I literally stopped in my track and I said, holy crap, I have used this for one week and I'm already annoyed that there's friction in me having to turn my air conditioner on. I'm not really a lazy person. It's not that. Like I know some some old timers are listening to this saying, oh, boy, it's lazy. Imagine not being able to send a text message right now and you have to call somebody and spend five minutes on the phone with them. That's what's going to happen 10 years from now when you're in a hotel room and you can't use your Alexa to turn the AC down or change your lights. So I do think everybody needs to be thinking about voice. Do you need to be taking action on it right now? It wouldn't hurt, but not necessarily. I think that, and anybody who's who's followed the Gary V's of the world are going to have noticed this. I think text messages from an opt-in subscription kind of basis, having your clients, your fans, your followers, prospects on a texting platform that you can send. You know, and the thing about texting is, if you've got you know, let's say insurance guys, podcast listeners, you guys know a lot of you are on our text list. 
you've got to really provide value. You can keep somebody on an email list for a long time by providing absolutely terrible value. But when it comes to text messages, you got to be providing some really good value to keep them on there. It's forced. It forces you, right? If you're just putting BS on there trying to sell, they're going to unsubscribe in a minute. So, but I think texting, I think a, a new wave of texting in the sense of how people email list is coming. Um, and I think in terms of podcasting, a lot of folks saw the Rogan clip last week where he and uh, I don't remember who he was talking to. Uh, we're talking about the commercialization of podcasts. I think you're going to have more big media corporations trying to get in podcasts, reaching out to folks and saying, Hey, I love, let us do this. And we're going to have your podcast and we'll expose your audience. Da, 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 da. I think you're going to have that. Um, and before the Rogan clip out came out, we saw that with my buddy, Mitch Gibson. Those of you on here probably don't know Mitch, but Mitch is an insurance agent who uh, basically is doing that. He's got a show called Inside Hancock County where he's interviewing interesting people in his town. He's, I think, he may be 20 episodes in, maybe not that many. And the local TV station recently picked his show up and they're going to air it as a show on TV and they are paying him to do that. So I think you're going to see some more of that, you know, drifting in and out. I think there's some really, really huge opportunity. That's my prediction. So, guys, when you talk about – Phil, I want you to answer this too. When you guys talk about voice, I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. Let's say five years from now, voice is is starting to take over as king where texting is now. Are you saying that people are going to ask Alexa, get me an insurance quote in Saraland, Alabama, or a mortgage from Treadwell Mortgage? Or are you saying they're going to say, get me an insurance policy? I want a mortgage. I think you're going to have both. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with, with Bradley. You're both. So the, the first ways that businesses are going to have to adapt to this is that's be the way that we're consuming content. I had to unplug my Alexa device right now that I actually got <laughs> from Agent 2021. I, I want it. I, I have a, a couple of them throughout the house, but we keep saying it over and over and she keeps freaking out right now. But I think the first thing is whenever you say, Alexa, play my news or play my flash briefings. I had a flash briefing for a while, but Amazon's not putting a lot of education behind it. And most people, again, are using it for a glorified iPod. But I think as they start educating people about content, they start educating people about Alexa skills and really put some oomph behind that, businesses are going to have to be on there for awareness right? You stop and think about how the quickens of the world went from, you know, a, a glorified marketing ploy to the largest mortgage lender and in, in the country. They did that because they understood what was coming next. Yep. I think very quickly after that, it's going to be say, Hey, Alexa, I need an insurance quote for my car. And she's going to know already what your car is. And she's going to reach out to businesses and do that. Or, if the companies have set up, yes, I, I want to get a quote from, from Bradley Flowers at Portal Insurance for my house. I think that when we talk about smart, there's layers of what smart can be. And I think if people really knew how much information about themselves is already online, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about big data and predictive analytics and all these different things. When you apply that to voice, 
you, you not only don't have to have a password when you talk about voice because our voices are distinct, we talk about all the things that we can do. You walk into a room, hey, turn the thermostat up, turn the lights off, um, you know, do this, that. There's already so many things in our homes that are being done by voice. It's just how our lives are going to evolve from my perspective because it is so easy to do. And so I think first it'll be awareness and content. Then it'll go into being able to connect your businesses. And it, eventually it will get to where the same way we type in Google, I want to do this. It takes you to a website. You fill out a form and click and you've bought or subscribed to whatever you want. I think that that's going to be done uh, through voice. I think it's going to take some time. It's the same way we went from computers to mobile. We're going to go mobile to voice. We just are. Hey, I got one question for both of you to wrap this thing up with. And I want to get both of your opinions on this. So you threw out some statistics, some factual information relative to people listening to podcasts and the times, how much time they spend listening to a podcast. I don't know what you do in terms of your podcast, but would you encourage Bradley and I where currently we're running every week on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock in the morning? we release an hour long podcast. Okay. One hour. Sometimes it runs a little bit over. Sometimes it runs a little under, but it's roughly an hour every week. Would you encourage us, Phil, to drop that down to say 30 to 45 minutes or would you stay with the hour long content? Yeah. I don't think that there's an exact answer to this. You know, my podcast. Um, I've got a few that are, you know, short interviews because I was doing an interview with somebody live, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Most of mine run between 30 and 45 minutes, but there's a few conversations that run to an hour. I think the, there's no right answer to that mainly because if you look at what a lot of people consider the number one podcast in the country and Joe Rogan, he runs three hours almost every single time. Right? right. So I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. What I would tell the average person is to stay somewhere between uh, a half an hour and an hour. Um, it doesn't mean you can't go over. It doesn't mean you can't be under, but that's what I think society or, or podcast listeners expect from a podcast episode. And that may be why I've not listened to a start to finish podcast episode from Joe Rogan. I will on the treadmill watch a YouTube version of it, right? While I'm jogging or something like that, but it may take me a few days to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think he, he's a statistic buster in a lot of categories, but when people start a podcast, I recommend keep it about 30 or 45 minutes. That allows you to get some background, have a conversation, tie some things down, deliver a message thoroughly without being too short, but without taking you know too much of people's time. I agree. I agree. I, I, and I think, I think you do both. I mean, Rogan does both. He has three hours, but he also has the short clips. What is it about a podcast on YouTube? Because I'm just like, Phil, there, there's something about if I'm working out or I'm, I'm riding in my truck, I always listen to podcasts on YouTube. And there's something about the voice of the people that are there in conjunction with being able to visually see those people talk. Yeah, it's just another element. I don't know what it is that I like about that, but I do that a lot more than going to say SoundCloud or Spotify. Bill, do you have a take on that at all? As far as? Why do we seem to, at least you and I, very unscientific poll here, why do we like to watch a Joe Rogan podcast where we can see he and the guests kind of going back and forth, the two camera angles he has set up in there? 
why do we why do we enjoy that so much rather than just going to YouTube or I mean excuse me that like Apple and listening to it? I think because from the very beginning, uh, the Joe Rogan podcast had a lot of visual aspects to it, right? And he's always had such huge guests. Sometimes you want to see guests react to him. Right. You want to see Elon Musk uh, smoke, but not smoke a joint on there, right? right? right. You know, that, that whole thing. I think the Joe Rogan's podcast specifically is somewhere he's got interesting visuals. They share screens when they're looking up stuff online. He has his own interesting expressions. Even the, the logo of his podcast himself is you know him with bug eyes. I mean, the whole thing that Joe Rogan has built invites you to want to watch in addition to just listen, where I think a lot of other podcasters, you don't necessarily have to do that. Right. I like trying to, to scope out the gear he's using. Yeah. <laughs> Those sure microphones and... <laughs> yep. Phil, I just want to tell you, I know we're running up against the clock here, but I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you being on the show today. Bradley, I really appreciate you adding to this show today as much as you have. And I think the insurance agents that are out there listening to this, I hope you guys could take some good ideas, some good thoughts about podcasting and go out and do your own thing. I had uh, people ask me all the time questions relative to podcasting, and I think we answered a lot of those questions today. What do you think, Bradley? I think so. And it's one of those, you know, I consider it a form of social media. And I think it's one of the only forms of social media left that there's still somewhat of a barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of resources, obviously, but there's no like, you know, Facebook, you create a Facebook page, you record a video, you press upload, you, upload, you know, but with a podcast, there's still like, you have to kind of be in the know to a degree and you really have to do your homework. And I right. think that creates a barrier of entry. Which probably isn't a bad thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing at all. But at the same time, there's just as much as there's barrier to entry, there's also not barrier to entry. Like, like you can wing it. You can figure it out, right? And that's with, with my local podcast that I do here in, in Mobile. I purposely do it low budget to prove that it can be done. You don't need these sure microphones that are sitting around this table or this blue Yeti that I'm using. You don't need all that, right? It's great to have it. It adds an extra layer. Do you eventually need to get it if it becomes more successful? Absolutely. But our podcast that we're doing locally, we literally don't even use microphones. This lapel mic I'm wearing is the like, we just bought microphones for it. So we're purposely doing it low budget to show like, hey, look, yeah, you can go high quality, but it doesn't matter at the same time. Like you can do it. And as long as the content's good, the purpose is to take the action, right? Get a good idea, take action. And I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on that because I agree with everything he just said. You know, my, I'm using uh, also Blue Yeti microphone. It was about a hundred bucks when I bought it three years ago, a year before I even started my podcast. I'm using a 720p. It was a $40 Logitech webcam off Amazon. So you're talking, you know, barely $150 in equipment. And my platform is, you know, 15 bucks a month that I, I use for, for my host. I say all that to say is we're one of the top two or three podcasts in the mortgage industry, we've had Ryan Serhant and Gary Vaynerchuk and Evan Carmichael and, and the biggest people in and out of the mortgage and real estate industry. We've done 100,000 downloads. We haven't done, we've, we've done it on a shoestring budget. Like that microphone that he's showing right there that Bradley has, that's my, that's my, my dream mic, right? That's my, uh, my Mercedes. And I'm saying this to say this is a $450 mic. I'm not even using it right now. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the point people need to understand is there's platforms like a good buddy of mine has a, 
a flash briefing and podcast host called SoundUp. Their app, you can literally record directly from your phone or you can upload from your voice notes and publish immediately from a mobile app, right? So people don't have to make it complicated. Uh, it, it is something that can be done. You do have to make a decision. I will challenge people. A lot of times people will dabble in video and social media. I think Lewis Howe said this, if you're not committed to doing a podcast episode every single week for two years, don't start a podcast. Right. And I agree. This isn't something to wade in of, do it for 90 days and wade back out of. It's something you have to stay committed to. But if you stay committed to it, it will pay dividends far beyond what you expected. What cracked me up is there's several insurance podcasts that kind of like would do it, but then they wouldn't do it. And, da, da, da. and it's And by the way, you guys listening to this, it's nobody you know. But then once we kind of came on and exploded, all of a sudden they started doing every week. You know, and I'm like, that's interesting to see like that perspective of, but I agree. And I think Scott would add to that with the 50 episode rule, right? Yeah. Yeah. 50 episodes or don't do it. Hey, Bradley, tell the story about the guy. You don't have to name any names. He called you, I guess it's been about a month or two ago, upset because he only got 50 downloads, his first podcast. 200. 200. Yeah. In the insurance industry, there's been an explosion in the last two years and uh, with, with the number of pod insurance podcasts. It, uh, it kind of happened not too long after we came on the scene, but we were certainly part of that. Uh, one of those is my buddy, a buddy of mine who started a podcast, not really for anything other than just to add another layer to his personal brand. I've given him a lot of advice, helped him, that sort of thing, and he called me freaking out. And I've always said, I think one of the keys to our success with the Insurance Guys podcast is that we would still be doing this today if we only got 200 downloads an episode. Right. I think we would be doing this exact same thing. We might have not had Gary Vaynerchuk on, but we'd still be doing the exact same thing. Just put your head down. Like we, we didn't look at downloads for a long time, right? So, and a lot of that was by encouragement from Johnny, our producer, who really, really helped us. So this guy calls me and he's freaking out because he only got 200 downloads his first month. He had interviewed a few people that were very, very, very heavily influential in the insurance industry, and he was expecting a lot more downloads. He called me freaking out. He's like, man, what do I do? Like, I'm like, bro, it's only been one month. Like, it's okay. Like, it's 200. That's 200 individual people. Like it's 200. You got 200 likes on a Facebook post. You'd be freaking out. Right like now. if you put all 200 of those people in your living room, you would be overwhelmed. Right? Like it's 200. But anyway, he's like freaking out. He just would not shut up about it. And finally I was like, all right, hang on a second. I log into Libsyn. I'm like, do you know how many downloads the insurance guys podcast got the first month? He's like, I don't know, like 2000. I said eight. <laughs> we got eight downloads the first month and he says i'll shut up and listen that's that's exactly what i want you to do and and i was like don't worry about it it's not it's not about width it's about depth if you only have eight followers if it's the right eight followers and you've made a significant impact in their life nothing else matters you're not wasting your time it's so true. It's a thousand percent true. If you have 50 people listening regularly and those 50 people are engaging, 
they also know another thousand people and they may each know 50 people. You know, like we, we used to have a saying in the mortgage industry that every dud knows a stud. So even if that realtor is not the best realtor in the world, they still deserve your time because they may be having beers with the top broker in that entire firm. Like you don't know. And so, you know, if you've got people engaging, keep putting in content, don't worry about the numbers, stay consistent and persistent over time. And this thing, uh, this thing all work itself out. Hey, hey, Phil, I know you got a hard stop right now. Before you go, and I'm about to shut this thing down, tell our audience where they can go to listen or watch your podcast. Yeah, so my podcast is called Mortgage Marketing Expert. It's on pretty much every platform that's available to listen to podcasts. Uh, you can go to my link tree. It's just mmepodcast.com. Uh, there's links to the uh, full audio and full video episode with Gary Vee. Uh, you can list on Apple, Spotify, all those. It'll have links in there. So mmepodcast.com. And then I'm at Phil Treadwell on all the socials. Uh, definitely connect, reach out, love to chat, uh, hear about what you guys got going on in your business. This is something like Bradley said, find something you're passionate about. Man, marketing and sales and, and building business is something I'm very passionate about. And so I appreciate you guys letting me come on and, and talk about it for a while. No problem, brother. Really enjoyed it. Hey guys, listen, insurance agents from around the world, don't care what you do, but go do something. Go make an impact in your community. Go provide value to the people in your community, in your small towns. I don't care if it's about high school football or what it's about. Whatever it may be, go provide value to your community. And if you can do it and post that to social media platforms, you will see an increase in business. But remember, as Bradley just mentioned earlier, it is not going to happen overnight. It is going to be something that takes a little bit of time, six months, a year, two years, but just keep doing it. Keep making, keep making the donuts every week and be consistent about it every week and you will get results. So guys, I hope this helped you guys out. Remember what I always say, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today and go out into the big bad world, create relationships Make money for your family, for your husband, your wife. Make money to put in your kids' school fund, their college fund. Help your parents as much as you can. God knows they need it right now. Go help them and write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you, brother. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, man, anytime. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love you too, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys. Take care.